Good morning. Happy birthday, Jesus. My name is Ruth Ann LeDuc, and I invite you to uh, listen to our scripture reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And it's printed on the inside of our um, worship guide this morning. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with his wife, Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. Well, we are finishing up today our Christmas series. You and I have been trekking through the Christmas story as largely as found in the book of Matthew the last few weeks. Today we're going to finish that series. The series is called God Came Near. We've been looking at Christmas through the lens of our struggles and some of the problems that we face as human beings and as Christians. And today we're going to look at this one more time. So the question we are going to talk about today is what do you do when you don't see a way? When you don't see a way out of your issues, your problems, your struggles that you're dealing with. I'm thinking, for example, of a guy right here in our church who has lost not one but two jobs this past year. I'm thinking of a a man whose physical condition, not Fran, but another guy whose physical condition has gone from bad to worse thinking of a marriage that seems beyond cure. I'm thinking of a teenager who is in rebellion against everything she used to believe. I'm thinking of a lonely single who wonders if he'll ever fall in love. I mean, these are the, these are the real things that people in our church and elsewhere are dealing with. These, this is life. <laughs> this is Monday morning. Those are the real things that we're struggling with. And when I think about those and other issues, I think, well, if only we could call in Agent Ethan Hunt, you know, from Mission Impossible. There's nothing that guy can't do. My wife and I saw the latest Mission Impossible movie a couple nights ago. There is nothing that guy can't do. He's indestructible. Might as well call that movie Superman 6 or 7, whatever it is. If only we could call in Tim Tebow. Well, wait a second. Yesterday didn't go so well for him. Four interceptions. But if only he could pull out a fourth quarter comeback for us when we're going through one of our struggles. No, we know that there are no human superheroes like that that can deliver us from our pain. So what do we do about it when we don't see a way? Do we just try to look on the bright side? You know, there would be a lot of people in their worldly wisdom who would say, just think positively. No, that doesn't work. Or do we just ignore our problems and hope they'll go away? No, that doesn't work either. That's not effective. No, what we do, especially at this time of year, is we rehearse the Christmas story. Believe it or not, the story of the birth of Jesus does speak 
to our real everyday problems, to those times when we can't see a way, a way out, a way through, a way to the other side. Rehearse the Christmas story. Let me rehearse it for you. And we've heard earlier from Ruth Ann the most famous portion of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I think there are three things in that little passage of Scripture that we ought to remember when we can't see a way. And the first one is that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Even though it's different from your and my timetables, God's timetable is perfect. Look at verses 1 through 3. Luke is a historian. And as he tells us the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus, he adds these historical details that root it in real-time events. He says in verse 1 that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone, as you know, went to his own town to register. Now what was happening was a convergence of several different factors that made this the perfect time for Jesus to arrive on the scene. Herod the Great was king of Judea. Quirinius was governor of Syria. And Caesar Augustus, it says, was the emperor. Now, Caesar Augustus was Octavian. He was the first Roman emperor. He ruled from about 31 B.C. to A.D. 14. And what Caesar Augustus managed to do by God's common grace, was he expanded the Roman Empire to include the entire Mediterranean world. And one of the most famous things that took place, as many of you know, from the reign of Caesar Augustus, was that he established the Roman peace, otherwise known as the Pax Romana. It lasted for about 200 years. It was a period of relative peace. The civil war of Rome was over. One set of laws governed the entire empire. Roads were improved, so travel was made much easier than ever before. Aqueducts brought water from the mountains down to the cities. The Roman alphabet became standardized for the Western world. Latin became the language of the empire. Great works of literature and architecture were created. All of those things made made a wonderful setting for the proliferation of the good news about Jesus. This is why missionary endeavors were so successful in those days. But despite those good things, it was also a period of a terrible spiritual vacuum because Greek philosophy was in a state of decay. The Greek mystery religions were no better. So Christianity began to spread and take root and spread like wildfire. So Caesar Augustus issued uh, this decree, this edict, which said you've got to go to your ancestral hometowns and register. We're going to count you. We're going to do the census like we do here in America every so often. And that's why Joseph and Mary traveled to their ancestral home of Bethlehem. What's the lesson there? The lesson is that even when you think things are falling apart or nothing's happening or things are in a state of chaos, even at those very times, God really is in control. God really is sovereign. He is the ruler of the universe, and he knows what he's doing. Now, let's be real. God has not anywhere promised to take away all your problems and make you healthy and wealthy. And don't you dare believe the lies of those who say that that's what God has promised us. No, but what he has done is he's promised, friends, 
to be the sovereign guide of this world. He has promised to be, as we heard the children affirm, the shepherd of our souls, the good shepherd who will not lead us astray. Many of you have memorized that verse out of the book of Jeremiah where God says through the prophet, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So friend, today, if you're struggling, if you wonder, how am I ever going to get through? How am I going to get out? How am I going to get to the other side of this issue? You'd like to do it right now. God has probably a different timetable for you. But it's a perfect timetable. The second thing I'd ask you to remember through the Christmas story is that God provides in some unexpected ways. God provides in unexpected ways. Verse 7 says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was, and everybody knows this, no room for them in the inn. Now, this is such a familiar piece of the Christmas story. We have idealized it out of the realm of reality. I remember growing up, I saw or heard or read or whatever were told the story of this inn so often that I've got a picture in my mind of what it was. Do you have this same picture? Joseph and Mary ride up. Mary's on a, on a donkey. They ride up to this big house, knock on the door, and an innkeeper comes sleepily rubbing his eyes and saying, sorry, there's no more room in here. You've got to go around the corner to my stable. That's probably not the way it worked, actually. I read about this inn. You shouldn't think about a Best Western. You shouldn't think about a five, four, three, two, or even one-star hotel when you think about this inn. It was merely an enclosure, more likely. It was a place for a traveler coming through the town to drive his cattle in for the night. It it was very crude. Some of these inns probably had apartments for travelers, but there was no food provided, no free continental breakfast in the morning. There was no host, you know, greeting you there at the door. One commentator said it was probably little more than a brothel. But that's the kind of place to which Joseph and Mary came. There was no room there because the The city, the town was full of people. They had all come there to register for the census. And so they were led to a, and we think again, stable. We think of all of those major scenes that we have over our imaginary fireplaces here in central Florida. We think of a stable, a crude little building with nice cows and such inside. Again, probably not what it was. It was more than likely a grotto or a cave that was used as a place where animals could be sheltered That's where they were when Mary gave birth and placed baby Jesus in a food, a feed trough, something that cattle would eat out of. Now, that's an unexpected provision, isn't it? How many of you would enjoy having your baby in a setting like that? My wife is a nurse on a labor delivery floor downtown. And it is incredible the kinds of demands, the kinds of expectations now that we have for our births. Uh, There are all sorts of variations. And now it is fashionable to get your wish when it comes time to give birth. not knocking that. It's just the way culture is nowadays. This was an unexpected provision, but it was the right one. 
So what's the lesson? A lot of times you'll find out that there is, quote, no room in the end. That is, your plan's not going to work out. The thing you wanted isn't going to be given to you. The imaginary life that you have created for yourself is not going to happen. But there is another place that God will provide. The Father knows best what you need. And He will provide you with those things in unexpected ways. Again, don't know where you are this morning. Don't know what it is you're hoping to get into, out of, through, beyond. Not only is God's timing perfect, but He'll provide you with things that you might not have expected. People, friends, money, care, church. Don't underestimate the value of those things. When there's no room in the end, God has a place for you. The third thing that I would remind you about is that not only is God's timing perfect, and not only does He provide, but I want you to know that God solved a bigger problem in your life than your unemployment, as bad as that is. That God solved a bigger problem than your marital difficulty. He solved a bigger problem than your cancer. He solved a bigger problem than anything you are dealing with today. In fact, God solved the biggest problem of them all, your sin. That is the worst of human predicaments. Get this. God figured out a way for you to get from death to life. Do you know that? Do you realize that God figured out a way to give you a whole new life through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross? When this baby grew up, Let's think about the life of Jesus. When this baby grew up, he fed the hungry, he he healed lepers, he raised the dead, he gave sight to the blind, he gave the ability to hear to deaf people, he made paralyzed people walk again, he forgave prostitutes and tax collectors and proud Pharisees and all kinds of other people. And despite all those good things that Jesus did, the religious establishment hated him. It hated him because he was offensive to them. He said that God's love is free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Jesus dared say that? God's love for people is free. It's not something that you earn by doing good things. And that totally offended the religious authorities of the day. So they trumped up charges against Jesus. They arrested him. They tried him and convicted him. And they nailed him to a cross. And all of that was part of God's wonderful, amazing, loving plan. Because this man, Jesus, was God in the flesh. He was our perfect sacrifice. He was the one who lived the life that you and I were supposed to live and died the death that we deserve to die. And if you'll ask Him to and really mean it, He'll forgive you of everything bad you've ever done. And He'll give you a whole new start. He'll not only wipe the slate clean, but He'll throw away the slate and never again keep a record of your wrongs. Can you imagine what a wonderful gift that is that God has given us already? He'll make you a new person with new goals and new dreams and new allegiances with a future that is assured of a good future and the promise that when you face Him in judgment, you will be not condemned, but affirmed and applauded and rewarded 
That's a miracle. That is a miracle. All those things are amazing. And sometimes we forget about that wonderful gift that God has given to us because we're in this forest of problems and struggles that we're struggling with today. All of these pale in comparison to the problem of human sin, which God took care of on the cross. So today, if it seems that you can't find a way, remember these three facts. God's timetable is perfect. He knows what He's doing. He'll provide you with things you need. You might not have known you needed them, but He will. And if you're a Christian, your worst problem has been solved through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Now notice that condition. If you're a Christian. Are are you a believer in Jesus today? Are you one who has said yes to Jesus? We talked about this last night. ABC, admit your sin, believe in Christ and what He's done for you, and commit your life to Him. What will your response be to these things that we've talked about? Well, Christina Rossetti wrote my favorite Christmas song back in the late 1800s in the bleak midwinter. And she ends that song with these words. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. I give my heart. If you've never done that, do it today. Go home today, find a quiet place all by yourself and give your heart to Christ. Say to Him, Lord, I want your timetable. I'll accept your provisions and thank you that you solved my worst problem. Help me to follow after you and give you my heart every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you came into our darkness. You solved our worst problem. You took over our lives and said, I'll be your sovereign guide and your shepherd if you'll just let me. So Lord, forgive us when we don't let you and when we demand our way. Lord, help us today to trust you. There's some really bad problems going on in our lives. Sickness, fear, relational strife, anxieties about tomorrow, regret over the past. Lord, all of the problems we've talked about for the last four or five weeks, we bring them to you and lay them down at your feet. And we believe that you are sovereign over them, that you're bigger than they are, that your grace is bigger than our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift of all. We give you now our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.